the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 147. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. And that's not it. You can share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now onto the show. Good morning, my friend. Good morning. How are you? I am great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. I uh, feel really good right now in my body because I've been doing a lot of hot yoga. So don't fall out of your chair or anything. Hold on. Hold Anyone. On. I'm, but I'm to buckle myself me, back in. <laughs> Sandra Primo is doing uh-huh. yoga. And I know. liking it. And liking it. You know what? Tell me more. Tell me I've, tried over, I've, I've tried to think about it. Of course, I've tried to analyze why I all of a sudden – want to go. And I think it's because, and I've tried lots of different yoga styles, I guess. Are they styles? I don't know. Schools of thought in yoga. I don't know. Um, as you can see, I'm not super versed in it, right? Super proficient in Mm -hmm. yoga. Um, but I have tried different styles. I think I get really bored and that's uh, doing yoga. I know that that's the point. Maybe sometimes is you're supposed to just be into your body and staying with yourself and being present and all that. But I, I get bored. I get bored with, with yoga. And for whatever reason I'm doing Bikram, it's exciting. I'm not bored. I love it. I walk out of there just drenched in, in sweat. Yeah. And if I feel so good, like Mm. I, I, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what compelled me to try it. I just noticed that this, there was a studio next to the place we get Indian food and I was sitting there waiting for my takeout and I punched it into my phone and I, and it was like, oh, this is like a hot yoga studio. And they were running a special for new students. I signed up. I've gone almost every day. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this, I think a little bit last week, but, um, this is like a whole, like, like a lot of people either love it or hate it Yeah, and it they're all in my friend right. that I just stayed with in Portland. She's all in 
and it's a 90 minute, is it 90 minute for you? It's 90 minutes. Although yeah. this morning they have, they do have a shorter version, kind of mini version that's an hour, but a true, I guess, class is, is an hour and a half. Yeah. And it seems like, I mean, you like the, the phrase that you leave everything on the mat, like, it seems like that would definitely like you're sweating this out. You're working it out. It's, it's mind body, right? Oh, definitely. And the, yeah. and the postures are very hard for me because, you know, I'm not, I'm just out of practice. I haven't done a lot of yoga in my life, so they're challenging. Um, but I have to be honest, I've laid there at the end, at the very last Savasana and cry because mm. I'm just so proud of myself. I don't know. Like I, like I, I was kind yeah. of just cheering myself on. Like you did it. You you're doing it. it yeah. It's very, um, I don't know. I can't articulate all of my thoughts around it yet because I'm just sort of in it, but, um, I'm just going to keep going until I guess I'm until I'm over it or I'm done, or maybe it's a forever. I don't know, but it is, I'm, I love it. So you do that, you sweat, you work it out. You're crying at the end. I'm, I'm really drawn to restorative where I laid, <laughs> right? I just laid in a four different positions for an hour and 20 minutes, 10 minutes. And I loved it. <laughs> very See, different I, way, very different right. thing. But, and I have done that that kind of yoga too. And I got to be honest, that's very hard for me. Like uh, it's hard for me to lay there and do nothing. Like right. very hard for me. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you like, said it's very, very hard. hard. Like I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the resistance comes up, right? The resistance. Yes. <laughs> and that's the teacher. That's the mind coming back to center for me. That's, um, yeah, because it's not like I'm just taking a nap. It no. is to be still and quiet. And that's hard for me too. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a chatty Kathy, so it's yeah. real hard for me. Um, but, I'm, but I enjoyed it. I will do it again with, um, with our friend Natalie. Um, I definitely will. I will, uh, I will practice that again. But the Bikram, I don't know. I did, like, I think I shared last time I did it once, but I, it's when I was drinking and I can't imagine how I not good for me that was. <laughs> imagine. I've, right? And believe me, that thought has crossed my mind many times. I cannot imagine doing that hungover or, or even like three days after drinking. Like I cannot imagine. Yeah. I would probably, yeah, I would probably pass out. Like I can't, I would just, and everyone that, that I have come across in this class, passed by in this class, everyone looks so like glowing and healthy. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think it attracts a certain kind of person. I think I, I don't think, I can't imagine being a drinker mm -hmm. of alcohol and also doing that type of yoga. Yeah. So, because I couldn't sweat anything out. I was so parched and oh. dry and like, I could, there'd be nothing to give. Be oh nothing my God. Out of me. You know, it was just, I remember just being really angry. Um, yes. So I never, I've only done it once, Sandra. So yeah. oh, I'm so glad that you're finding how much you love it. I think that's, what's so great about getting sober and finding these new things that we do. Like, Oh, I actually, I like that. I would have resisted that. I wouldn't have done that. Totally. I would have had a lot I of never, judgment about something, mm -hmm. you know, before I never tried thought. It. Never thought I would have liked it, but good for you. Yeah, oh, right. that's it. What about you? Um, just I got home. Yeah, I got home from Portland. I was there for a week, did an unruffled meetup with about six of our listeners. Um, There's supposed to be some really big storm coming into 
um, you know, Washington and, and, and Oregon. And um, it never quite manifested in Oregon or didn't manifest. So it was like this nice night with this like light sprinkles. And um, we went to Blick Art Supplies and touched all the things and looked at all the notebooks and pens and pencils and then walked to dinner and just had a really beautiful evening with, um, with uh, yeah, half a dozen ladies. It was great. That's uh, like so fun. Yeah. You were missed. Ladies. You were asked about and talked about and it was nice to connect with them again and see them since we've met, we've met a fair amount of them um, when we were out there last June at the last meeting right. together. So mm-hmm. the Portland crew, they yeah. have a good, they, they have do. a good solid group there. They do. My friend Kelly um, from Walla Walla, she came down and picked me up from the airport and then my friend Mary um, from Santa Rosa, she moved up to Oregon and she took me to the airport to come home. Like they were just so generous and nice. Um, they invited me to the bridge club that um, the Tempest puts on up there and couldn't make it. But it was just, it was like a week full of beautiful connection and text from them while I was there and just um, people reaching out. It was really nice. Really, it, it did my soul good. I kind of needed that kind of love. And oh, um, yeah. it was good. It was really good. Um, but yeah, but we, we have a lot to do here, right? I mean, we are gearing up and re- getting ready for, um, we've recorded all of our episodes for February. You and I have been working <laughs> super hard in January. We have. <laughs> we have. There's a lot going on to this that doesn't, is, these podcasts just don't make themselves. <laughs> they do not. They do not. And right. So as these are airing, Tammy and I hopefully will have, will be a be catching our breath a little bit. Mm -hmm. We've really been, had our nose to the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This this phallic phallic looking microphone. (laughs) When I sent you a picture and you're like, that kind of looks like a penis. Yeah. Uh, For one of our images. Right. Just know, right. When you lay these microphones down (laughs) flat, they look like a penis and not really good for podcast art. I'm going to touch mine right now. Well, anyhow. Um, so we've been working hard the, for February, just so you guys know, we're going to do some pre-recorded intros. We're not going to be doing things live because our sound person, um, my husband, is going to be out of the country for a month. So we had to kind of um, stock up and get ready and prepare things and interview the heck out of people and get ready for the month. And that will give us some time to uh, work on personal projects and plan out who we'd like to have on the show in March and kind of go at a little bit slower pace for us, which I'm really looking forward to, Sandra. Yeah. We've worked really freaking hard this month (laughs) doing January and February shows all in January. So yeah. Right. Well, we have other jobs. Yes, we do. We have, I do have other things to do, but yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Let's promote. So you can still, um, buy the spark. Um, on my website, the spark is a very digestible seven lesson, um, mini course. And it is for, it is for the, it comes in a PDF. There are journal prompts only, and it's really for the woman who maybe wants to be creative, wants to start a creative project. Um, doesn't even know where to begin. Um, Maybe you're newly sober and you don't even know what you like. You can't remember what you like to do or what your soul is calling for. Um, These, the prompts in this lesson will 
help you kind of mine your own experiences, um, help you recognize your own talents and help and kind of nudge you to your, find your own creative spark. And it's $29 on my website, theandruffled.com. If you get to the end of the lesson and you have a writing project you want to start or a, a, a website you want to begin or a blog um, and you want to take that work further, there will be a discount code there where you can work with me through Change Your Story one-on-one. And that's mm-hmm. it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And you guys can just go to my website if you want to check out what I got going on, TammySolace.com. I have a new, uh, well, not a new, it's an older body of work called The Geographic, my paintings. They're really large paintings that examined um, kind of the relationship of my drinking and to the landscape, excuse me, the landscape of my drinking. And so they're abstract landscapes. Uh, And I have a show coming up, Sandra. Um, I will be hanging it on two, which I'm really happy about on Groundhog's Day. The, the, that was the day I had my last drink five years ago. And it's going to be up for almost two months because it's the coffee shop where I go to every day where I, after my meetings, it's where I meet sponsees. It's where I meet friends. It's where I work. It's where I put all my courses together. I stay there for hours every morning and kind of use it as a little office. So it's going to be kind of fun to see my work hanging in the place that I hang out at a lot. That's really so, cool. Yeah. So if anybody's cool. interested in paintings, those are on my website. Um, hopefully I will sell them next month. Um, they're all marked down um, about half off and I'm trying to move some things. Uh, change is my word for the year. So things are changing. I have a class launching in February. All of that more will be revealed. And um, just check out my website if you're interested and sign up for my newsletter to find out everything first. Um, and that's on the homepage at TammySalas.com. Very good. Hey, who's our guest today? So today on the podcast, we have our friend Jessica Corbin, and she is a member of our Unruffled Facebook group. And Jessica's become a friend as well. We do a lot of sidebarring. Um, Jessica Corbin, I will tell you about her. She is an active singer, pianist, conductor, vocal coach, and music director in and around New York City, who also occasionally composes and arranges music for herself and others to sing. She is a lecturer at City University of New York, Kingsborough, Community College in Music and Theater, where she's also the music director for all music theater productions and activities. She is the current chair of music theater for Region 1 of the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival, which celebrates the work of college students in all aspects of theater. And you can find her on Instagram for social or social media channels, um, Jesse Corb, C-O-R-B, uh, her website is jessicacorbinmusic.com. And on YouTube, if you search the Many Voices Project, which we reference in the show, you'll find a really beautiful um, video to watch of that project. Right. We and, talk about it towards the end quite a bit. Yeah. And um, she has a forthcoming TEDx talk that you can be on the lookout for. But if you just go to her website or check her out on Instagram, I'm sure she'll be announcing all of that and sharing that with the world. And we really enjoyed our conversation. She really dug into um, how she found her creative spark and how after she quit drinking. And obviously she's a very talented woman in her own right before she quit drinking, but how this kind of elevated things. And I think it's gonna be very inspiring to our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. You guys enjoy Jessica. Good morning. 
Good morning. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you. It's really exciting. I'm nervous, but exciting. Happy to have you. Well, for our listeners, we are continuing on with our series where we are interviewing women for from our Unruffled community. And Jessica and I actually know each other offline, kind of. Not really. I mean, we've never met IRL, but mm-hmm. we um, we sidebar. We've had a few in-depth conversations right. on the phone. We've sidebarred. <laughs> And we've worked together, Jessica. We have. Yeah. And you did, you did proof of life in the summer, right? I did groove on your first one. Oh, you did groove very, on your first, first one. one. Okay. I thought you yeah. did a proof this summer. I don't know why I thought that. I didn't. I wanted to, and I didn't. Oh, well, I love it. I love that you're here. I love that you're in our community and I'm excited that we both know you in a way that feels, um, you know, it's nice. Like, yeah, we haven't met in real life, but I love that we get to know our listeners a little bit better. And, um, I think it's great. Well, yes, it is great. And we like to start off the show usually talking about where you are talking to us from Jessica and what the weather's like there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're practicing our small talk. <laughs> well, I'm talking to you from Brooklyn, New York, and it's 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 weird. I just I just spent the weekend in Tampa, so I got back yesterday. Um, I left here and it was freezing. Went to Tampa and it was really really hot, and now back here and it's sort of middle 40s today and gloomy. Typical mm-hmm. January, but um. Yeah, so it's not too bad. We haven't had too bad of a winter yet. I'm afraid to say that out loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just talked to Sorry. Uh, someone, one of my Change Your Story clients this morning who's in Maine, and she was saying that too. She said it was very mild and yeah, just warm. I mean, I'm, I'm planning on going swimming tomorrow, so that's what it's like in Austin. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am not going swimming tomorrow, but... Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm not going either, Jessica, just so you know, we're not going. <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome that you can say that, Sandra. And that's, that's the best thing about living in Austin, right? Like, I mean, it gets is. hot as hell in the summertime and yeah, you go really, swimming then yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But I'm such a Texan that I would, I, I don't, I would probably not, I would look ridiculous walking around in a city that was that was cold. <laughs> oh, I think you could style it up pretty well. I'm sure I don't know. I think cute. I would look ridiculous. I would so <laughs> just lots of layers. Yeah. Lots of layers. Mm-hmm. Well, Jessica, we, um, in this interview series, we are starting out asking what your, um, sobriety date is. And then a little bit about how you came to the decision to quit drinking. Uh, Well, my sobriety date is September 3rd, 2018, so about 16 and a half months it's been. Mm -hmm. I was looking today. I'm two days short of 500 days, I think, today. Very good. Um, Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's exciting. Like, in one hand, it feels like a really, really long time. I can't believe it's only been 16 months. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, it just seems really quick. You know how Mm -hmm. time is. Time's Mm -hmm. funny. And how old are you, Jessica? Just so we can kind of frame it for our listeners. I just turned 49 last week. Oh, we're the same age. Okay. Happy, happy belated. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. I didn't think I'd be this excited to be this age. Oh, I feel <laughs> you know? that same way, Jessica. I did too. I mean, I I did not enjoy turning forty at all. Not at all. Well, I I mean, for many reasons, but um, yeah, I thought I thought when I was well, I kind of get into that in my story. But I thought when I was forty, I thought, okay, I've only got ten years. I got ten years to do stuff. Because mm-hmm. at, 50, at 50, it's over. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. Then you're entering senior citizen. Yeah. And being era. very aware of what women go through, you know, how women sort of get aged out of stuff younger than men do. And, um, and I thought, um, yeah, I, I just, I didn't, anyway, and here I am and I feel stronger and healthier and more mentally, you know, strong. Yeah. And, than ever it's amazing like that shift right and just thinking yeah i think that's our culture too that kind of sells us that you know after 50 a woman is you know it's it's all downhill i don't feel that way at all at all well and i think it's the opportunities that we are creating for ourselves like Mm -hmm. out loud um Mm -hmm. and not resigning to you know whatever society would dictate for us yes for sure yeah well, and I also your- credit the younger generation. I feel like they're, you know, the, the kind of millennials and the Gen Zs are, I don't know, they're changing a lot of the stories around women. And I think mm-hmm. that's really and that's giving us right. some power too. Yeah, I agree. And you work with a lot of young people and we're going to get to that part too, because I'm really excited to talk to you about that. So was your age a factor? And in, in, I mean, you're going to tell us your decision to quit drinking or how you got there, but was it was it like, were you glimpsing things? And I'm jumping ahead. I'll let you answer. <laughs> like, like, how did you come to the decision? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut well, up. Well, <laughs> should I just go ahead and tell, start where I yeah. am? So I was telling Sandra, I actually wrote down my whole story, but I'm not going to read it. I just had to write it so I could kind of not forget things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I have a typical, or it seems typical from listening to a lot of your um, podcasts, but from other women, you know, I started drinking when I was a teenager and, but not a ton, just sort of regular teenage stuff, whatever that means. Um, and then through college, you know, I wasn't drinking any more than anybody else was. And I was, I funny, I was just talking to my best friend about this because we met in college and, um, you know, we didn't, we would go out on a Friday, but we were more really going out to kind of dance and we would have glasses of course light that didn't seem to get us drunk, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I don't think I really started drinking a lot until I moved to New York, which was when I was about 27, 26 or 27. Now, um, did you go to college in, in New York or? No, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. And right. I, I went to college. I went to Duquesne in Pittsburgh. Got and it. then I went to grad school in Indiana. Um, and then I moved to Baltimore for a year. And then I moved to New York in 97, the fall of 97. And uh, it was, you know, like here in New York, you don't have to drive anywhere. You, it's, it is a drinking town. It is, that's what, that's what you do. That's what everybody does. And I started working, when I first moved here, I worked at a record company. And it was right at the tail end of record companies actually having a lot of money and, um, we were, we were at events all the time, all the time, which were 
just filled with alcohol. And of course I had no money. So I would just use that opportunity to just drink and eat as much as I could because then I didn't have to go buy food or right. you know, do anything. And then everything was free. So it was, um, it was really, really easy. And, and all my friends were doing, you know, all my, I, all of my friends pretty much at that time were in the record company. So we were all doing the same thing. Um, and, and also, you know, being in New York and used, everything's just so easy and accessible because you can walk everywhere and take the train and every block has tons of restaurants and bars. Um, so it was just easy. And then I met my now husband um, in a bar <laughs> at like three in the morning. And uh, we- I'm not alone with that, just so you know. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah you don't you. even wanna- We're with you. <laughs> my, my, uh, mine and Mark's story is like not even suitable for even adult ears. It's just yeah. very, yeah. I met mine in a brownout, so it's X-ray, very romantic. X-ray. Yeah, it's um, yeah, we we all have those stories. So it's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> very romantic. Okay. <laughs> so fast forwarding through that a little bit, um, we, you know, but the same thing. We were we were out to dinner all the time, and you know, all that. And then we got married, and I'm sort of fast forwarding through that because it's a it's a not unfamiliar story, and um, and then. We very soon after we got married in 2000, um, I got pregnant with my oldest. And so for the next 10 years, I feel like this is a, like really interestingly by decade. Um, I had him when I was 30 and, um, two years later I had my second son. And just when we were thinking of having a third child, um, and I, you know, all through this, I didn't really drink through all this thing cause I was pregnant and then I was nursing. Um, I would drink a little bit here and there, but nothing, I wasn't getting drunk. You know, it was, it wasn't, I was really conscious of, of the baby's health and everything. And especially funnily enough, more so when I was nursing than when I was pregnant. <laughs> but um, then when my, we were about to, we wanted to have a third child, but then my oldest son got cancer. He got leukemia. Mm. And that was, and he's fine now, totally fine now, a regular 18 year old completely healthy. But, um, that was like two and a half years of, uh, apparently that's a traumatic thing to go through for a parent. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I never really thought of it as trauma because it was just survival. You know, I don't, I don't really remember that time. I can't really talk about it from the, like, it's not in the fore, foreground of my mind. It's almost like, I know all the stories, but it's almost like it happened to somebody else. Right. Um, that. And so I didn't, I didn't drink much during that time because I just couldn't, I had to be ready to go to the hospital at any time. Um, and we were, we spent a lot of time in the hospital and he was inpatient for a long time. So it was, uh, it wasn't really anything I even thought about. Um, and then he, that was all done. We were sort of, you know, on the tail end of that coming up to the five years where they declared him um, cured. And then I got pregnant with my daughter so again, went through the whole pregnancy and the nursing thing, and I wasn't uh, wasn't really drinking. And then I, then I about forty, is when I came out of what I call like the decade of baby and cancer fog, and kind of looked around. I thought, well, well, what the fuck am I gonna? What am I doing? You know, I don't, I don't, 
I don't feel like I've done anything for myself or at all for my career, nothing for the last 10 years. And it's fine. I don't, and that wasn't resentful or anything, but I thought I really got to get going. And, um, and I sort of hit the ground running, working, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff all through this. I had a, I had a women's choir actually all through, um, all through that decade, which I started in 2000. Um, even before my son was born, I had started this, it started off as a teen girls choir and then it kind of morphed into a women's choir. And through this time we had become our own nonprofit and our own thing. And it was really great. I had built this women's choir and somehow I kept it going. Even when my son was sick, that was like my two hours a week where I could do something else with this choir that I directed. Um, it was community choir here in Brooklyn. And, um, and so I had that, always had that going, but then I thought I, there's, I got to do some other things. And I was sort of teaching here and there and teaching piano and um, playing the piano for little theater groups and schools locally and stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So um, in 2011, through a friend of mine, I ended up getting a job at um, a community, the community college here in Brooklyn, Kingsboro Community College. And I, um, I just was an adjunct. I was an adjunct and I played the piano and I did their musicals. And that morphed into other adjunct jobs and other adjunct college jobs. And then finally I got into um, where I'm teaching there full-time now, which is great. This is my second school year being full-time there. And, uh, but in between that, I was, you know, working, I had the choir, I had this adjunct job, I had that adjunct job, I was teaching piano, I was you know, playing piano a bunch of places. I was singing a bunch of places and I was doing 10 million things with three kids. Um, and the drinking just like was the only thing that allowed my brain to ever shut off because I felt like I was going all the time. And I was almost like looking back on it, I felt like the drinking was like the, this was, this was the thing. I deserved this at the end of every day because Otherwise, my brain never stopped. Mm. Um, the music never stopped. I have a constant soundtrack in my head, you know. And drinking seemed to be the only thing that would stop it. And that's right. Looking back, I think that's what I told myself. Um, so it was, that, it was your solution. Oh, yeah. It yeah. just... Well, now, Jessica, would you ever identify, have identified yourself as a workaholic? Now I do, Yeah. Yeah. Well, then did you ever, like when you came out of that decade of what you called, you know, um, dealing, you know, being, you know, birthing children and, and, you know, also having a sick, a sick child, did you ever, were you like in therapy? Were you seeking support of any kind for, for that? Because that's a lot. I mean, birth is traumatic. <laughs> Giving birth <laughs> is traumatic. And then having a sick, uh, a sick baby on top of that, I, I can't even imagine. Were you, did you, did you address those things as you were going along? Absolutely not. Right. Why, why would I do that? That's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that was meant to be a leading question because I, because I, I like to, you know, I, tried it with my own life. I've tried to get back to the source. Like how, how did it go awry here? Mm -hmm. How, 
how, when did I start self-medicating when I sh- maybe could have made some different choices like getting support? Um, yeah. 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 And it sounds like you got through that decade and then you, you, you addressed it with workaholism first and then yeah. to medicate the workaholism or to cope with the workaholism, then you turn to alcohol. That's exactly it. Right. I didn't realize that. I mean, that's taken the last year of a lot of self-examination to figure that out. Um, But yeah, it was, it was the workaholism to escape. I guess what I, not really escape. It was more, I think like I was rebelling. Right. Against that decade, you know, you were trying to find your identity again as Mm -hmm. you know, you didn't, I know that that was, you know, for me too, I didn't want to just be, have mom and mom of a special needs kid as my only identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I realize now that the working so much and never being still, um, which I whenever somebody would sort of call me on it and people did, you know, even people, women in my choir would say, wow, uh, you really do a lot. Like you do a lot. <laughs> How do you do it? Are you okay? I'm fine. I would say, yeah, I just, I can do it. You know, like fine. you just happen to have more hours in your day, more yeah. <laughs> magically more. I just magically have 28 hours in my day. So it's, you know, bad for fine. you. It's what I do. You know, I mean, I'm not happy. I, I would sort of bill it as I need to stay busy or I get depressed or I need to stay busy to stay happy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was, it was pretty crazy, crazy busy. I don't, I'm sure I was getting to the point though, where I wasn't doing anything. Everything was getting done, but nothing was getting done well. Mm. And I also was getting very stagnant in just, I don't know. I didn't feel fulfilled as busy as I was. I didn't feel like I was, um, I felt very stuck and and frustrated with myself that I was working so hard and yet still feeling stuck. And I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on why I was feeling that way. And of course then I think that also led to just drinking more. Um, so I didn't have to think about feeling stuck, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it just got, um, it just got more and more. But what was funny was, is, around 2015 so i was about 44 i guess um around around then is when i kind of started feeling this way and i wasn't like at the height of i mean i was drinking a lot but i wasn't like i was the last year before i stopped drinking and um I met, or I, I met up with my friend, Michael, who I went to, I went to college with him, but we met up at a conference and we were talking about this and I was telling him I was feeling this way. And he said, Oh, have you ever read the artist's way? And I was like, no, what's the artist's way? <laughs> he said, well, she does these things called morning pages. And I think you would really benefit from doing that. And I thought that's odd. That sounds great. Tell me more. And um, so we talked about it for a long time. And then I came home from that conference and got the book and I started doing morning pages and I did them 
really diligently for about four months every single day um, and doing what she says is, you know, don't go back and read it. Just keep writing, you know, don't, don't revisit it. And um, what came to light for me through those morning pages was um, I have a huge fear of criticism and I have a huge fear of rejection. And somewhat startling and disturbing is I was really, had really harmful self-talk throughout these morning pages to the, after it, it took me about two months to realize that in all of my morning pages, I never used, I never wrote in first person. Um, I never said I or me. I only said you. Mm, and, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> right. That was kind of a big, whoa, why am I doing this? Um, yeah. And I was really yelling at myself mm. on these pages. And, um, and it took me consciously changing to I and me. And it's funny, even, you know, five years later, I still catch myself doing it sometimes. Um, but I had to consciously change to writing in first person, which did, which by doing that, I would think I was finally able to be honest with myself and uh, throughout this writing, even though, I, you know, I was still drinking and probably as I went through this process, drinking more and more and more um, through the writing, I thought, great, I'm going to, I'm going to try some new things. And I tried writing music and I I kept I said yes to more things that I wanted to say yes to and no to more things that I wanted to say no to um sort of fast forward a couple years and I'm still you know I didn't I wasn't writing every day but I was still writing a couple times a week and I started uh taking my health a bit more seriously so I started exercising more I went on Weight Watchers um I was slowly figuring out that maybe I didn't want to do the choir anymore and coming to that realization that while I've had this for a really long time, it's not, it's not fulfilling me anymore. And it, I, for a while I tried to change the choir, but really I just needed to remove myself from it. So um, I made that decision to leave the choir. I made the decision to leave a couple of my other part-time jobs and say no to things, but I was still drinking through all of this. <laughs> and but I you're thinking, slowly shedding some things. Like that's what yeah, happens. I think you kind of kind was, of having this yeah. awakening, right? Yeah. And I started doing yoga and I, um, you know, applied for and, and got this full-time job, which is really my dream job. Hmm. But finally in the last year before I stopped drinking, I was drinking more than ever. I mean, I was, I was never one to hugely binge drink and I could always really handle my alcohol pretty well. I never was in a blackout. Um, I probably had some brownouts, but I, I was getting really sick from it. I would drink so much that I would, I think I had alcohol poisoning a few times. Mm. Um, and just my body was fighting it tooth and nail. I mean, my body was just, Rejecting, rejecting. Completely. Rejecting. Yeah, Screaming even from the first you. drink. Yeah, <laughs> I would have the first sip and my whole stomach would quench up. Mm. And then by the second drink, I was fine. Um, and, and I'm like, oh, I just won't pay attention to that. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Just drink, power through. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, but I still felt stuck, even though I was shedding this stuff. I'm like, what is the thing? I don't understand. I'm doing all of these things. I'm exercising. I'm writing. I'm trying, I'm, I'm getting rid of jobs. I'm 
you know, slowing down a little bit. Why can't I figure this out? Let me have a glass of wine and think about that. <laughs> right. And um, what I realized, well, I didn't realize this until I, I kept a couple of my journals from morning pages that I just kind of forgot to throw away because usually I throw them away. Um, and I realized that more and more I was writing about my drinking mm -hmm. and how I didn't want to do it anymore. And I didn't really put that together. And then that summer before I stopped drinking, I did a lot of Googling, you know, am I an alcoholic? How much is too much? Can I moderate? What is this? I was getting books out of the library about moderating drinking. Um, and, and one of the things that got me was, I can't remember what the book was, but it was a book about moderation. And it said, but if you don't think that you can do what we're saying here, you probably just need to stop drinking. And I'm like, oh, that's that seems really final. That seems, I don't know <laughs> if I can do that. Um, and so that at the end of that summer of 2018, um, I didn't really announce it. I didn't tell my husband. I just kind of said, I just thought I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the month of September off, you know, after Labor Day, of course. Um, so Labor Day happened. Right. That's then... <laughs> a big drinking weekend. That's my birthday. So I know it well. <laughs> Because there's always that thing, right? And I know so many people talk about this. Well, then it's Oktoberfest, and then it's the holidays, and it's then it's Halloween. Yeah. And then it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, I, there's always the, the next thing mm -hmm. and somebody's wedding or whatever. Um, but I thought, well, let me just try, let me just try 30 days. And I was starting my new job. So I thought this is a really good time to just take a break. And then right in that first week that I, that I said, I'm going to just take a break, I, or I, I might've found it the week before, but I can't really remember the timing. Um, I discovered hip sobriety and I started reading her blogs and um, it was really resident. I like, I liked the way she was talking about it. I'm like, that makes sense to me. And then I discovered that the mantra project mm -hmm. and I didn't know anything about unruffled. I knew nothing. Like, oh, just this artist, Tammy Salas did this artwork for these months. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm about a week into this sobriety. I can probably go 40 more days. You know, I can do 40 days. Yeah. Cause Let's it's a 40 that. day, it's a 40 day email course. So you're going to get yeah. an S essay, like a really powerful essay from Holly every single day, every morning and a mantra yeah. and a mantra that I kept on my phone. And I would, that would be my um, wallpaper for that day. Mm. And, um, and I love them and I still have them. I still have them you know, the collection, the folder of them on my phone. And um, the, I thought, okay, I could do this. I can do this 40 days. Then, then we'll reassess. Um, so about two weeks into that, I thought, I think I'm done. I think I don't want to drink anymore. And because um, I was, I so looked forward to those, those emails every morning. And I sort of established this morning routine without realizing I was starting a morning routine. I would just get up and I'd make myself, and I had to get up super early because my son was went to school in Manhattan and I had to get up with him. So I'd get up and I'd make myself some lemon water and, you know, read, read the mantra and read the email and, and then write about it. Um, and then I thought, okay, I think I'm ready to work out the money for the, for the hip, you know, at that time it was still called hip sobriety um, course. And so I did that even before the 40 days were up. I just sort of kept, mm. you know, adding more things on uh, to this. 
And then that was it. It just, it just made so much sense to me. Um, and I think because she approached it so much at the beginning of the course with science mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, how it affects your brain. And then I, I listened to um, Annie Grace's book at the same time. And I'm like, yeah. it just appealed to my logistical know. side. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, it just makes so much sense. Um, and without, I never even got into the whole emotional thing. In fact, I, I may have even skipped the weeks where it really went into the emotional stuff. I'm like, I don't need that. Right. <laughs> I'm but fine. You can always go back, right? I skipped the yeah. Kundalini week. Yeah. There's, there's, there was only so much I could take when I did it too. Um, Cause yeah. I was taking it while I was creating the mantra project for her, but yeah, there's, but that's the whole thing. Take what you want and leave the rest. Like I hear that all over the place with different yeah. recovery modalities. So good for you. So Jessica, in hearing your story, I just came up with this new realization or theory, you may want to call it, um, about morning pages <laughs> that I just, about morning pages. So the, the what, I think one of the byproducts of doing morning pages or any kind of practice like that is, of course, you know, maybe getting, you know, moving through, uh, work, you know, like, um, can be about productivity. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the byproducts of it is just getting unstuck maybe in your writing or in some kind of creative project. I think that's a byproduct of it, but I think I had another realization too, because, you know, you were talking about, you know, all this like work, work, work that you were doing and yet you were still feeling dissatisfied and stuck. And, uh, you know, I think that whether it's working or, and, or alcohol and, or sex or shopping or all this stuff creates this like buffer, um, between you, us as a person and, you know, that thing, it helps us cope. Um, and we become disconnected to our like essential selves, I think, yeah. um, through those, those external activities. And I think the morning pages allows you to reconnect to yourself, right? Oh like, yeah. You become just really present and grounded in those five minutes or whatever it is mm-hmm. it takes you to do those morning pages. And so for you get like a glimpse of, a, of a reconnection to, to yourself or to source or, or, or whatever you want to call that to your essential spirit or being. And then when I was hearing you talk about, you know, but you were still drinking and then you started questioning that it was like, then you went back to the disconnection thing. And then every morning you go back and catch another glimpse of, of that reconnection. So mm-hmm. it, all of that makes sense to me how, um, and I'm sure Julie, I wouldn't have to explain this to Julie Cameron. She would like probably just be shaking <laughs> her head like, yeah, duh, that is the <laughs> spiritual practice. <laughs> 
But I think sometimes morning pages can feel a little daunting to people if people aren't used to writing or they don't want somebody to find it. I, I talked to um, students of mine that I've recommended this to. And um, another thing I recommend if someone's listening and thinking like, I don't know if I can do morning pages, I do a brain dump in my phone on my voice memos. Um, that's kind mm-hmm. of like a brain dump, like what you would do in morning pages, not as thorough, I don't think, because I'm, I do it like the last five minutes before I get to my morning meetings. But I dump it, what I'm thinking in my head, what I'm pissed off about the night before, what I'm mm-hmm. dreaming of, whatever the thought is, or even just um, what I need to buy at the grocery store. Like all of this stuff just gets dumped into my voice memo. And then I date them. And I always thought, oh, I'll go back and I'll write them all down. I've never listened to one again. I've never documented anything yeah. off of any one yeah. of them. It's just a dump. So I think, I think if people... Definitely check out The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. But if you're afraid to do that or don't want to do it, like a little voice memo could be a, uh, your way in. Well, and yeah, I think I what I'm saying too is that not using them for a purpose. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Not a to-do list. Not a- well, Don't have an expectation from it. Right, right. Just yep. use it as a time to reconnect to yourself and ground yourself in just the present moment. And you could do that- in meditation, just mm-hmm. sitting still and breathing and thinking or staring out the window for 10 minutes, you know, what, whatever, but it's just like the time to intentionally tap in mm-hmm. and because all the other stuff disconnects you. Right. Yeah. And I think it helped knowing, Sandra, that you did the morning pages, you know, when we first started talking, you're the one that got me interested to even think like, well, maybe I could. And then at first I just resisted it. I just resisted it because I want to have a purpose for everything. Right. right? This Virgo wants to make something from it, wants to have it be quote unquote productive. And when I started doing it after knowing that 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 was your practice, when I started doing it that summer, I had all the panic attacks and just free flowing. And it felt like a, a valve was just opened up whether that's, you know, conscious contact with God, with myself, with whatever it was, it was extremely powerful, but I resisted it. Um, that's and I, the way I felt too. Um, yeah. after, after what I noticed is in the first, just, I, I remember feeling this way cause I don't have, I don't have them anymore, but, um, I remember feeling like I, I was writing, like I was writing, like, um, I was writing for English class. Like somebody was going to read it and grade me on it. Right. And uh, so I, I, was, you know, so I was scratching things out and making them grammatically correct. And, like, <laughs> um, and, and then I kind of just let that go, but it is daunting. I, I think too, I think it is, it, it can, it can be very daunting to think, oh, I've got to write three whole pages. But what I like is what she says in the book. Um, I mean, now it's been a while since I actually read the book, but I rem- the thing that stuck with me was, if you don't know what to write, just write that a zillion times on the page. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. I don't know. And some of my entries started off like that um, until my brain sort of kicked in. And then, uh, but I also do the voice memo thing. I do that mm-hmm. in my car on the way to work sometimes. Um, that's usually when I'm angry. Yeah. Yeah. I can't get it out ground. fast enough. <laughs> Do you think sometimes we think it's daunting because we're afraid of what we're going to see? Like you said, Jessica, that soon enough it was revealed 
your, your self-talk was re- your negative self-talk mm-hmm. was revealed mm-hmm. to you. I think a lot of times we're afraid of, of, of what we're going to hear because a lot of times it's going to be the truth. Well, I think some of it's daunting because, um, yes, I think that, but I would even go a step further to say that it's, um, sometimes we don't know how to, how to get there. We, we're not really sure, um, that we can access that truth anymore. Or that's, I think that's how I felt anyway. I guess I can't speak for the general population, but, um, the, just, I'm not sure if I, if this is going to work, you know, that was, that was some of it. Like, what is the, what is the point? And I don't think I was assigning expectation to it, but I, I definitely wasn't sure. I, I, I wasn't sold, you know, when I first started doing it. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think this is doing anything. I'll keep writing. But I really was um, doubtful that it was going to actually go anywhere. Um, Yeah, you have to trust the process, which I think is a lot of this, right? When we're getting sober, we have to just trust um, if we do these things. But I I think it's very cool that you didn't, um, you pushed through. I think that's what happens when I would start something new and shiny. Um, I didn't know it was that I wanted to be sober, but I, as when I only can know this stuff, when I look back and see all the attempts and the things mm-hmm. that I was trying and doing, it's like a little roadmap to sobriety, but at the time mm-hmm. we're just fumbling and, you know, and I didn't even know I was trusting, right. You don't know that by you writing those mm-hmm. pages, that, that was going to lead you somewhere. You just mm-hmm. kind of do it. But Sandra, you're right. Like, I think the resistance must be so deep within us that we don't even know. We can't even probably consciously know why we're resisting. Right. Um, right. Knowing I mean, ourselves. Cause it's usually fear-based, right? Yeah. Resistance is, there's something there that we don't want to see. Yeah. Or it's a story you're telling yourself, you know, like I don't, I don't do this. You know, Sandra, when you're asking me about therapy and stuff, I'm like, I don't, I don't need therapy. You know, I don't, that's, I'm, my friends are my therapy, you know? <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's all I need. Um, I love that. because. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but that's what I would say, you know, and I would say, well, I don't know. I'm not a writer. I don't journal. You know, all these things like I don't do this or I'm not this. And these sort of stories that we've, we've built up around or about ourselves over time that, yeah. uh, we just keep carrying. And then finally at some point, and I think, it definitely took me getting sober to realize those are just things I've been telling myself. It does not make them true. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's been a hard thing to allow myself to do. That's the kind of stuff that makes me cry at the drop of a hat too when I start thinking, but I am, I'm not this thing I've been telling myself for 30 years, you know? Yeah. That's very moving when we can kind of get to that place of like, why, you know, Sandra's leading a class called Change Your Story. Like, it's true. My word has changed this year and things keep popping up, Jessica. And if, like, we get to, we get to do that. You mm-hmm. know, it's not to negate our story or to cancel out that, that what was, but like this beautiful opportunity of this unfolding that we get to have in sobriety. I had no clue. I had no, I couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't even imagine that this would be like that I'd be doing this, talking with you and Sandra and creating a thing every week and, um, you know, writing about God. Like, I didn't think I, what? 
<laughs> you know, like I, know. I, I, who is that person? But I'm so glad that I was, um, had enough willingness to kind of keep moving forward. And it sounds like that's what you did too. Like it was unfolding for you. You saying no to the things that you were saying no to, uh, you know, removing yourself from the choir, still drinking. I mean, the heaviest I drank was the last year before I quit too, Jessica, but it was like, you're making the space, you're making the space, but you're still, and then you have more space to drink, I think. in that last, you right. know, towards the end, you having some space. Oh, I never space. think of it like that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. But then you're like, it's almost like I just couldn't live with myself anymore. And I didn't. Yeah. You know, so trying that. And for you, I think that's so beautiful how that all unfolded for you, you know, not to you, but for you and that you really picked it up and ran with it. Yeah. I, I, I still feel like it's a, a bit of a, miracle sometimes you know like yeah. this was all it was all along like it seems so easy and not easy it seems so simple you know right. not not easy not but, easy but it is simple right yeah. I mean when you why when you boil it down to that it's just a beverage and you could stop drinking it that yeah yeah do you have connection. real in real life community Jessica um of not, people who don't drink not really um I mean my husband actually has stopped drinking too, which, oh, uh, which has awesome. been, which has been really great. Um, and he's, he's not, he's, well, I mean, not to speak for him, but it's been, it's been about six, seven months now. Um, awesome. which is, which has just really changed a lot. Mm. Um, and that's been, that's been great. And so having that and not having that, uh, I didn't realize that that was still some, not pressure for me, but it was on, it wasn't the most comfortable thing you know? Um, yeah. And now we just don't like, we have some bottles of wine in the wine rack, but for it's when people, for when people come over, if they want to have a glass of wine, but finally when people come over, they know we don't drink, so they don't drink either, you know? So it's, um, I, I had that kind of realization <laughs> like, Oh, people don't drink as much as I thought they did. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I want to be wow. like Napoleon dynamite right now. Lucky. You're so lucky. <laughs> it's um so I've had really good support from my from my friends um I would say from my good friends from some you know some people I have have dropped out of my life but um but for my really good friends who don't struggle with alcohol uh they've been super supportive and it's not been a big deal and I um and I have some friends that have never ever drank you know, I have some friends in the in the Arabic and Muslim community that it's it's kind of been really great to hang out and have coffee and kind of re- learn this sort of new thing that that some of my friends are already very um, involved in, which is meeting for coffee, you know, and meeting right. for good coffee, and um, and really talking and being creative around that stuff. And so that's been that's been really good. So unfortunately it's been tough. I, I find New York city tough, you know, Brooklyn is tough. It's, 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 it's so, I think maybe it would be easier. I don't know if it would be easier, but it seems like uh, it would be easier in a place say like Portland or Austin or where the sober movement is sort of um, taking more of a hold than it is here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so glamorized there, you know, yeah. sex in the city, just like, yeah. ruined it exactly I think. New York City yeah. women and alcohol because it's everywhere and I know there are some people I know there's some people in the um sobriety community 
that are in New York City, but also New York's so huge that if you live in Queens, I'm not meeting up with you. You know, I, mm. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not too far. <laughs> yeah. Like I barely want to go into Manhattan, you know what I mean? And so it's, um, I need somebody to be local in Brooklyn. <laughs> I'm going to meet up with you. I think I know someone awesome in Brooklyn. I'm going to tell you after the show. Okay. I think that you would totally dig. She's awesome. And funnily, I mean, I guess not funnily, but um, my work colleagues have been so extremely supportive from, from jump. Like it was, they were just, um, these are my people that I teach with in the theater department were so, um, so supportive. And it was great at this, we do this, go to this theater festival every year. I was telling Tondre about um, this college theater festival. And last year when we went in January, it was only about four months into my sobriety. And on our last night, we all went out to dinner, six of us, five or six of us. And my one friend, Jessica, they have a mocktail menu. Look, here's the mocktail menu. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. (laughs) And I was like, that's so I love these guys so much. <laughs> and um, so that it's been, it's been really um, good. I feel very lucky that I've had, uh, that I have a really good community of people that are already there for me that, that, um, that are supportive. Right. And we're in yeah. work and socially, all of that. Yeah. That must feel so like uplifting and validated. And yeah, it's, it's pretty good. My parents are very supportive. My parents live in South America now, but they, um, my dad has been sober for like 18 years or something. And, Mm. um, so we can talk about some things too. And, and he's very real, real about it. You know, he's, uh, and he's a musician too. So we, you know, we can kind of, we talk about stuff like that. And, uh, yeah. And my whole, my whole, even my extended family has been really supportive. Um, which is, which has been, uh, great. I wasn't really expecting it. And I mean, not that I wasn't expecting it to be different. I don't know what I was expecting. I, I just, it's, it just seems like it's been surprising. And yeah, um, right. It's easy. It's very easy to spin out with the scenarios of how it's going to be and how people are going to react and all that. And often it's, you know, sometimes, I mean, you definitely have, will have challenging moments. Everyone, we all do and will and all of that. But a a lot of times we play up these scenarios in our head, but they're often benign. Yeah. And I feel like some of my friends that have been less supportive, um, you know, some, sometimes to the point of making fun of me a little bit. um, I just Mm. think, wow, I don't, I don't really need you in my life, you know. Yeah. I, <laughs> that makes I'm it easy okay. to edit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good way to put it, Sandra. <laughs> yeah. Very easy. Kind of do a rough. Uh, yeah, first draft here. We're gonna edit this out. I'm gonna <laughs> call this friend group. Mm-hmm. That made it very. Yeah. Very easy. Yeah. The criteria is now established. <laughs> yeah, things are definitely illuminated in sobriety. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, Jessica, you are such a wildly creative person. I mean, your whole world is is music and theater. And um, yeah, how, how did how did your creativity? Um, how has it played a role in your recovery, or how has that changed or morphed for you? What has that been like? Um, it's it's been interesting because I. Uh, 
wow, that is a really, and I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> and, I was still trying, and, I, and I still haven't quite wrapped my brain around it because I have about, I feel like I could go off in all these different spokes. Um, Whatever feels right. <laughs> well, I'm going to back up a little bit to the morning pages because what yeah. I, one of the things I realized when I started and when, you know, probably about six months in when things really started to be revealed to me with this fear of criticism was um, even in music, even though I've done music my whole life, I've never not done music. Um, it, I, I was safe, you know, I did the things I knew I was good at. I know I'm a good piano player. I know I'm a good singer. I know I'm a good conductor. And so those are the things I did, but even within those, I did it very safely. You know, I'm good choral conductor. I'm good at singing this kind of music. You know, I'm good at playing this kind of music. And that's what I did. And I never really stretched myself any further, even though I had ideas about composing and I had ideas about songwriting and I had ideas about other things I wanted to sing. Um, I just kept it very neatly into the box of things that I knew I could do really well that I would not be criticized for. Well, you said that you had a big fear of rejection, right? Oh, so yeah. when, we, when we choose the safe thing that we know we'll be good at, we avoid, we avoid rejection. Absolutely. And I didn't have to I didn't have to, <laughs> I, I, that's one of the things I've kind of uncovered over the last year and a half is this sort of need for validation and figuring out where that's stemming from. But um, it, so I, I kind of pushed the boundary a little bit. I started composing, I started writing songs. Um, I'm still, I think I can very safely admit that I am a shitty lyricist. So um <laughs> I've got great melodies. Give me some words. I can write a melody and write some stuff to go with it. But I, my words sound like a really bad pop song all the time. So, um, <laughs> so that, that's, I started sort of pushing it that way and then really getting more into theater. You know, I didn't come up with theater. I didn't major. I, my major was music for both for bachelor's and master's degrees, music major. And, um, and I did, I dabbled in theater here and there, but I, wasn't really involved with it till I started working at the college and um and then got more and more involved in it and realized that wow I I have some good instincts about theater I don't want to be on stage I don't want to be an actor but um I'm good at drawing it out in other people and giving them a safe space to explore what they want to do on the stage and I think I'm good at um getting them to in particular to do it through song and what, and using my music knowledge and my, my knowledge of melody and my knowledge of music theory and my knowledge of, of um, orchestrations and things like that to help them inform their storytelling so that they can, they're still telling their story. I'm not giving them direction, but, I, but I'm, I'm helping to guide them into telling their best story. Um, go ahead. Tell us, tell, tell the listeners what that looks like in real time um, through your mini voices project. <sighs> I love this project. Um, I do too. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it started as something else. It's, I mean, not something else. It started in a different iteration with my women's choir. Um, after the president, last presidential election and um, when the first, one of the first executive orders was was denying immigrants, you know, certain immigrants to come into the country. Um, I was really upset about this, and uh, and I knew how much this would affect my students because my at uh, at our college, we have students from over a hundred different countries. Mm. 
and and even at that time I wasn't I wasn't full-time there so I I couldn't really I knew I sort of wanted to do something with my students there but the group that I had was my women's choir that was what I had immediately so I wrote for and got a grant from New York City to do this project where we focused on immigrant voices and we asked for poetry at that and because it was women's choir at that time I was focusing on women um uh I'm trying to put this into the into the shorter part of the story um bringing uh asking for poetry by women born in other countries living in New York City we got quite a few submissions we ended up taking three of the poems and then we put music to them and then my choir performed them and it was great so it was very polished it was a very you know we have a complete piece of music already done and we learn it and perform it um, in a typical choir uh, setting, you know, in a concert. And it was great, it was fantastic. And then uh, blah, 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 fast forward, I quit the choir, da, da, da. and I knew I wanted to do this with my students. I just didn't know what it was gonna look like because we don't have a choir at Kingsborough, we don't have a music major at Kingsborough. Um, all, of the, all of the classes that I teach, the music classes that I teach are for non-majors. So these are all students that some of them have played musical instruments before. For some of them, they've never, they don't know anything about music. Um, so in my four classes this semester, I, I got a grant from, from the college as well to start this program at the school this year. So in September, I just made a one sheet thing, uh, handed it out to all my classes. So I was teaching four classes and I said, okay, I have this project. And I sort of gave them the thing I just gave you, the background of it. I said, but now I really want to do it um, here. I don't know what it's going to look like when it's done. I don't really know what the process is going to be. Who wants to do it? <laughs> mm. And um, and so the first thing we needed was poems. And I said, well, I just need, even if you don't think you're a poet, just try, you know, but if you're called to write something, write something and submit it. You know, I, I want to read what you have to say. And of course, because they're young, they, they don't have all those stories a lot of the time. Um, they're like, I'm not a writer. Um, so I took, the only requirement was that the poems had to be by either immigrant or first generation, which I knew wasn't going to be a problem in our school. So I got um, six poems that, that students gave me. And then I had about 16 students, including those six, who had free time and wanted to be part of this project. So I pretty much broke up the groups into four different groups, broke up the students into four different groups based on their availability when they had free time at lunchtime. This was all extra credit, I mean, not extra, extracurricular. And um, so we, we got together in groups after we had the poems. Um, and I said, okay, here's your poem and make something out of this. And so many of them were like, what do you mean? Well, you play the piano a little bit. I know you can sing. Um, I know you can act and I know you can do this. Um, anybody else play anything? Yeah, this kid played the flute, and, you know, so-and-so could beatbox and somebody could um, play a drum if we needed to. Okay, great. So is there any part of this poem that seems like it should be a melody? And the poets were like, well, I kind of felt like this could be a melody. So somebody who was a good singer just started saying the words over and over and started singing it. Great, let's put that down. And we would just record. And I got them to just... Uh, start riffing basically on these ideas and so we ended up having um, uh, six pieces that we ended up with um, everything from just spoken 
but they, the four people that spoke the poem ended up, you know, kind of coming up with the way they wanted to do it and how they wanted to say it, which would be one person speaking and what would be all of them speaking, um, all the way up to things that were a complete song, because I had a kid who was a really good jazz pianist. Um, and so the, the woman who wrote the, uh, one of the poems, she was from Brazil, so they did this sort of samba thing. Um, and that was great too. Um, one of my favorite pieces was uh, a poet and a singer and a piano player. And the three of them, um, that's the one I've shared the most on the pot, on the um, Facebook page, mm-hmm. was the three of them. Uh, and the reason I, it's not just because the piece itself is really powerful, which it is, but I feel like it sort of culminates that what all the groups were doing, which was learning how to listen to each other, learning how to trust each other learning how to be vulnerable with each other, which mm-hmm. a lot of these kids, um, you know, a lot of them have a lot of walls up. Right. And so they, they did that. And I watched them become friends and I watched them, you know, sort of find this place they belonged. Um, and we had, a, I, had a, I had a few kids that were theater kids. So they already, they already kind of knew that scenario of that kind of feeling like you belong thing. But for some of these kids, they'd never done anything like this before. Mm. It's just so beautiful. It's like, it's like tender and brave at the same time. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. What a beautiful project. And we'll, um, I know you have one, do you just have the one video up on YouTube or do you have more than one? We just have, I mean, the one is just a sort of promotional video for the, for the other one. Um, okay, right. Mini Voices we've only Project. Done, yeah, we've only done one performance. We did it in December. And the only thing I had to do was sort of the last two weeks. I'm like, okay, now we kind of have to stop the, that process and just rehearse what we have. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I came in as like, we need to kind of put this together and because we're going to have an audience. So we need to have, you know, <laughs> a performance. Yeah. Something a little polished to show them. Um, but you know, because it's live performance and it's sort of, theatrical uh things went wrong that day and um some of the pieces didn't go the way we wanted them to go but it was it was really great nonetheless I don't think anybody who wasn't already aware of it you know which was just me and those 16 kids would have knew that anything was amiss mm-hmm. um yeah no you couldn't as an as an audience member or just you know viewing it on youtube yeah you couldn't tell i mean it it mm-hmm. it's it felt some of it felt it wasn't over rehearsed you know it felt mm. organic and kind of riffed on and a little scrappy and improved and i think that that's what made it even more real and 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 authentic. it was authentic it yeah. was totally authentic and it 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 really came from these kids and their experiences, which um, which helps me so much too, mm. because I get ra- you know I get wrapped up in my you know non-immigrant you know white privileged world a lot of the time. Yeah, and uh, and not that it's I don't know not that that's their job to keep me woke you know but it's it just, right. It just, it was a lot of listening. It was a lot, a lot, a lot of right, listening. Right. Because often we cannot see another perspective unless it's delivered to us through art, mm-hmm. some kind of art. 
So beautiful. Well, now do you plan to continue the project as the semesters go on? I do. I wasn't, wasn't really sure what I was going to do. Um, I wasn't planning on doing it in the spring. I was planning on doing it again next fall. Um, but then almost all the students said, well, we're going to keep doing this in the spring, right? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> and oh, I said, well, that's okay. all well, the feedback yeah, you so. need right there. <laughs> but I do want to move it. I also want to take it to other places. Um, I think it's an idea that's transferable to other colleges and other even high schools too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have, um, I have some plans in the works with, with a few different colleges. I mean, it has, it has to be a college or, or a high school that has, you know, kind of a significant immigrant population or first generation. Um, but now, I mean, a lot of places do. So, um, yeah, so there's some schools that this would not be appropriate for, but I think I, now that I've done it and put it all together, once I have a better idea of how I could approach it by doing Skype workshops at first, get them all started, and then come in and really work with them for a whole day and perform something the next day. You know, I think I could, I think I could, uh, I, I kind of figured out how that's going mm. um, to work. Well, and I don't want to make any money on this. I just want to, like, I just want to do it. It's so important. You know, no, it's, it's like, like so, a service. It's, it's, yeah. it's a service based offering. Because I feel like with this, you know, in this country, we're so divided and so much of that is fear and not listening to each other. And, yeah. And if we can do it through art, through music, which I guess sounds really, you know, maybe <laughs> idealistic, but it I don't think so. Sounds good. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think this is the thing that we need to keep doing and do more of. I think it's the only thing that's going to unite us in the end, honestly. Yeah, yeah it, it's beautiful, Jessica. I, I, um, we will, um, put a link in the show notes to the, to the, the one video that you have posted. And then of course, if yeah. you're in our secret Facebook group, if you're a female identified and in our secret Facebook group, Jessica has posted a few other videos there as well, but it's just really beautiful work. Um, Jessica, I'm that, you know, when I, just seeing this project flourish, um, to me that says how you are thriving in sobriety, but do you have anything else to add to that? How you think you're personally thriving in sobriety? Um, I've been trying a lot of other things. I, again, before I stopped drinking, I was talking to somebody who, who was a, who's an actor and he was showing me how he started drawing and he was drawing on his iPad. You know, he's doing on one of the iPad, um, it was right when the iPad Pro first came out. And, uh, and he said, what I'm realizing is that the drawing is making me a better writer and making mm. me a better actor. And I was mm. like, oh, that's a thing? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. wow. And so last um, December, like a year ago, I, is when I started listening to The Unruffled. And then just in those first, or those last couple of weeks of December, listening to it, I thought, well, I'm going to, maybe I'll buy a sketchbook and start drawing. And I, and then I went into creative book and I took, you know, some of the, mm. the Lisa Congdon's yeah. beginning drawing things and, and just loved it. And I started mm. painting and I did a couple of the recovery girls art exchange things, um, which I really 
really, really liked. And then just recently I started um, embroidery, right? I was talking to Sandra about that before. And I'm like, this is all, and it's just, it's the only thing I can think of to describe it. It's like this, this light spreads out through the creative part of my brain when I do other creative things that aren't music. Mm that shines more light it, it like creates more light and then it shines it more on the on the music stuff too so it opens up more of the creativity of my brain by kind of not forcing myself but exploring these other mediums that I'm not that are not my specialty yeah so it's it's like I don't have to be good at that stuff so it kind of gives me more freedom you know mm-hmm. and but because I can just sort of explore it with a more childlike mentality, I can then, it just makes this music stuff stronger. Yes. And I'm, you know, singing better and I'm playing more and I have more ideas for composition and um, lots of music is just popping into my head that I want to write down and I want to play. And so it's, it's, it all works hand in hand, which is really mm-hmm. cool. And I didn't ever know that I could do that before yeah I have a theory of that about that as well but (laughs) what's your theory (laughs) well because I think that when you allow yourself to jump into something that you're not going to be an expert in and you don't want to be an expert in and you let yourself just play it kind of opens up that um allowance you you get permission to do that and other things Right. Mm-hmm. It's a beginner's mind thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, you're right. I was, I took that training last summer for um, art for healing and they have you paint with makeup sponges. You're not allowed to use brushes. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of even gives you even more permission because a brush can kind of paralyze you sometimes or a blank canvas, but using like a tool that was like what you would put makeup on with kind of but felt you can't different. be precise. Yeah. Totally. You absolutely can't be precise with that. And no. You, you got to throw perfection. <laughs> huh? It forces you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Bit, you got to, you just got to play. You just got to play. It was challenging for me on day one and two, I have to say. And then I was there for seven days doing the training. So, but after day two, it was like, it was so easy. And so it's almost like finger painting. Yeah, totally. Totally. You could use your fingers too. Yeah. Right. So you can take that feeling and it bleeds into other things, other things that you do actually take more seriously or, you know, call a career or whatever. But yeah, I loved our conversation, Jessica. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I think our listeners are going to really appreciate and love hearing your story and how you got from A to B to C to D or, you know what I mean? Like you just, you (laughs) shared it all, but I love it. I love that. And, um, we, we do need to wrap things up. I hate to say, um, cause I'd like to still keep talking to you about what you do. Um, maybe we can do that offline. Uh, but do you have, this is the part of the show where we share three tools from our unruffled toolbox with our listeners can be creative related or sobriety related. Do you have three things you can share? I do. I, um, I, I sort of have three, like, oh, well, anyway, I'll just, I'll just say <laughs> So the first one is, um, you know, which is actually my second one, but I'm going to say it first. The, what we were just talking about, um, the irregular creativity, I kind of called it irregular creativity. So all of that stuff, like the drawing, embroidery, painting, um, even, you know, I started writing a blog and photography things. I'm not, are all creative artsy things that I'm, 
are not my thing, are not my trained medium, you know? Um, and that has, like, I think I just said it, it just, it just helps inform my creativity. And when I, ha when I feel like being creative, when I feel like a really creative person, there's nothing else I want to do. I don't want to, like Holly says, you build the life you don't want to escape from. I don't want to escape. Like, I love that so much. Right. That's all I want to do, you know? you feel alive. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's the thing that just keeps me, you know, it wakes me up in the morning and, and makes me super excited about days when I get to, um, when I get to do that and days when I get to do the things that I do, you know, which are music and theater. And um, it, all of that is, is that one tool is like keeping in the creativity, whether no matter what creative medium I'm, I'm doing that particular day. And I do something every day. It's not the same thing every day, but I do something, one of those things every day. Um, the second thing is moving my body. And whether that be a walk, if I only have time to go for a walk, I try to make sure I walk for at least, you know, 20 minutes a day. I'll walk to pick up my daughter from school instead of driving. Um, it's kind of ridiculous that I drive anyway, because it's not very far. But, you know... <laughs> Oh, I'll save so much time driving. And I don't, I, it's just as long. <laughs> so, um, and then we can, you know, that, the, the walking, you know, get your mind moving. And if you're walking with somebody, you can always have really good conversations, but also going to the, I go to the gym and I do kickboxing and weightlifting and I run, I jog, I don't run, I jog sometimes. Um, all of those things have just are really important. I, if I don't do it for a couple of days, I can, I feel the huge difference in my in everything um so that would be the second one is just moving moving my body um and the third one um i call it my reflection pool <laughs> and pool as in a pool of things um and i don't again i don't do these things every day but i do at least one of them every day um and that would be meditation or i've moved beyond morning i don't do them in the morning so i just call it journaling um as meditation and journaling and tarot are those. Sometimes I do them together. Sometimes I only have time really to do one, but I, I try to do that mostly every day. And again, yeah. just like the exercise, if I miss a day or two, I can feel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mm. love that. I love that you called it a pool and you can just kind of reach in and either scoop up all three or just one of them, but whichever you just take some intentional time. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And um, and those are the those are the three. And if you'd have told me five years ago I'd be doing tarot, right? <laughs> no, I know. We all said that. <laughs> I'm with you. Although I, I I would have done tarot, but yeah, because I was always looking for somebody to give me some answers. But <laughs> but <laughs> the other stuff, absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Well, Jessica, this has been wonderful and we're going to put it in the show notes, but if anybody wants to find you on the internet, um, where would they do that? Um, I have, well, I'm on Facebook just as my name, although hmm. I'm trying to not be on Facebook. Um, that's my new thing in 2020 is to not be on <laughs> Facebook as much. Um, and then on Instagram, I'm Jesse Corb which my son gave me that name. So Jesse Corb. So it's yeah, <laughs> Jesse J E S S E C O R B. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I do have that. I keep that private 
mainly because I'm in contact with hundreds and hundreds of college students right. all the time. So I, I do keep that private, but, um, I just requested you, you today. I couldn't believe we weren't yes. friends already. I know. <laughs> and I, like, how are we not friends? <laughs> <laughs> but if people want to, you know, I have any interest in, in me with that, they can, um, yeah, just, just request it and I'll, I'll answer you. Um, and then my website is jessicacorbinmusic.com. And I'm trying to, when I first did the website, I'm like, I'm going to write a blog post every two weeks. And I'm like, I'm going to write a blog post every six weeks. Um, but I'm going to try to, um, I'm trying to do that more. And, and again, trust myself. Cause I can. Yeah. Um, and I also, uh, by the time this airs, which I'm not sure when that's going to be, but um, the, by the time it does, I will have on there, I offer um, online voice lessons. Oh, oh, very uh, cool. And it's, it's not just for singers or, you know, quote unquote singers. It's for anybody that wants to use their voice more effectively. Um, I do, I do online voice lessons. So that can be done by a Skype. Although now I'm thinking maybe I'll try Zoom. I don't know. It depends on what the delay is, mm-hmm. but um, Skype's, Skype's kind of been the best so far, but I do mm-hmm. offer that. And I talk in these lessons, I do a lot of breath work and I do a lot of um, working on your speaking voice and things you can do in the morning to get your voice moving to the best place it can be, which is hard to believe right now. I'm sick right now, so <laughs> I'm a little congested. But, um, but even things like how do we, you know, a lot of us have to use our voices at work, you know, yeah. when we're presenting things or having meetings and stuff. And often um, our voices get really tired and and I can just help with where to direct your speaking voice and how to do some vocal exercises with that too. So even if you're not a singer or maybe you always wanted to sing, I can, I can help with that. Or if, if like talk, maybe, if, or if I want to sound like one of the ladies on Downton Abbey, you could help me with that. I could totally. Or the crown. Absolutely. <laughs> so I dabble in that when I'm all alone and I, yeah, <laughs> my lady. Yeah. I try of to course do I can help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Jessica. This has been amazing. We really thank appreciate you. you and sharing your story. I think this is going to inspire so many women and um, we just are really grateful. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Okay. Bye, Jessica. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.